Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org to donate. Thank you. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. Daniel 7. The kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew 4. Jesus. Like I said earlier, I have absolutely thoroughly enjoyed reading Daniel this past couple of weeks. I really encourage you just to read through it, enjoy it. Um, One read, one sitting, maybe a couple, but get right through it for a lot of reasons. It reads easy, it's fascinating, some action, but also lays out major aspects of God's Word and what He teaches. Um, It says amazing things about law, gospel, about God's reign that ultimately triumphs and will always be there. It talks about Jesus very specifically. Daniel, I was thinking about this uh, this week. How could you relate to a guy in the 7th century B.C., in the Middle East, on the Mediterranean, Jerusalem, so many different reasons why he might seem an unapproachable. Like, what does he have to say to me? Do I understand what he's going through at all? Does any of this make sense to me, 21st century Chicagoan? Daniel was probably uh, of the ruling class. He probably was of the sort of wealthy leaders, aristocrat, well-skilled, highly educated in that pool in Jerusalem. And we know this because, uh, we know this for a number of reasons, but one, the beginning of Daniel talks about what happened to them. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, finally, after God said many times over and over to Judah, repent, change, I love you, I'll forgive you, till finally they didn't, and he lets Babylon crash their world. So Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem, stormed the city, took away some of the fine vessels of the temple, which is really sacrilegious, if you might, uh, right? That might be uh, true, right? Took away the king, Joachim, and then decided he was going to take some of the major up-and-coming leaders. Literally says, I need some guys. I need the best guys. I need well-fit. You know, even says, good-looking But most, what he really means by that, Nebuchadnezzar was smart, skilled, to take away their strongest in Jerusalem. That's what you do to your enemy. But also, he actually says, I could probably use them in my courts. And so Daniel was one of many. So can you relate to Daniel being an aristocrat, being connected to the ruling class? Maybe some of you can. Can you relate to Daniel when it comes to a foreign uh, you know, enemy coming in, taking away your house, 
trashing your city and taking you back with them to a weird land with a weird culture is very different. And not only that, religiously different. And you're away from family and all the things you know, and your house is trash, you're outside of home. Can you relate to being an exile, to be a stranger in a strange land? I'll bet some of you, that's what I love about St. James, I'll bet some of you can relate to that. I think maybe all of us can. Consider Daniel, uh, sure, as a, a Jewish Jerusalemite now in Babylon, which was now Iraq, and different cultures, different languages, all that sort of thing. But consider also they had their own gods. And Daniel, rightfully so, was very loyal to his. And it was really big to God, to God obviously, that his people are loyal to him. Consider the sort of fights that Daniel had to play with that culture. How much do you give into it? How loyal do I need to be to God? And what you saw in the story of Daniel, one of the big ones is what? You know, you know the famous stories from Daniel. Daniel chapter 1 and 2 and 3. You've got uh, King Nebuchadnezzar requires them to uh, give homage to this God that he just made out of gold. And they don't. Who are the famous three guys? You know their names? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Great names. Name your kids after that. And Nebuchadnezzar, I think, would be a cool name too. But they don't do it, so they get thrown into the fiery furnace. They won't give in. They won't give in to the culture. They won't give in to the gods of that culture. And they're punished for it. What happens? They escape. No burn marks even. Everything's fine. In fact, a little, a, little, uh, a little hint, the king looks in there in the furnace and doesn't just three, three guys, but sees another one that he says looks like the son, a son of God. Next you have Daniel. You're supposed to be praying to this or that God. I can't remember. It's always the same thing. Daniel is praying to his God. And, and you always see this, jealous Babylonians, they're a little jealous that these Jewish guys are getting the king's love, Right? And so they always want to entrap them by demonstrating to the king that they're not loyal to you. They're loyal to their gods of Jerusalem. And so Daniel's caught praying to the one true God. He gets thrown into this time, not a fire furnace, but what? A lion's den. And he goes down and uh, comes out the next day. The king's, this is a different king, by the way, totally different king, different culture. This is a Persian. Looks in there and sees Daniel. And is Daniel okay? Yes. Time and time again, you see Daniel being told to worship other gods, and he doesn't. And you see Daniel put into difficult situations, and somehow his God brings him through it. And the other gods are put to shame. That's a huge part of Daniel. Can you relate to that? Are you a stranger in this strange land? You feel like it sometimes? In your good hometown, the U.S.? Chicago, you feel strange? Do you feel like there's a culture that's just very different than how you see the world and your worldview? That might be how Daniel would have saw things. Do you feel like you're surrounded by people who are worshiping other gods? Are you tempted to not 
worship your God, but chase after other gods. I think we are, right? Luther says this in the large catechism. A God means that from which we are to expect all good and to which we are to take refuge in all distress so that to have a God is nothing else than to trust and believe him from the whole heart. As I often said, that the confidence and faith of the heart alone makes both God and idol. Find, follow someone's heart and you'll find their God. What are the other gods competing for the one true God, our creator, our redeemer? In Daniel's day, it might be the gods of the Babylonians. In our day, there might be other gods, other religions, I suppose. But what are those gods that tempt you to think that you can put your trust in them and they will get you through it? Or if you lose that, you're dead. No sense in living. We could say we live in a different morality than what God gives us in the Word. You could think about that. Sure, it feels very different to follow how God sees things, how we're supposed to use our bodies and other things versus what the world says. But there are other gods out there, before you get too political, that want your attention. The God of your career. Really think about it. We're told that you need to be successful, you need to plan ahead, you need to have a good retirement, all these things, or it's all a failure, it's all on you. You live as if you need to do that, and if you don't do that, if you don't have that retirement plan, if you don't have that good job, then you are a total failure. Do you live like that? Things that you think you need. Maybe even family, I need to have a big family, I have to get married. It could be a lot of things, couldn't think about it. Our health. I'm going to put all my time and attention into my health. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat right. I'm going to go to the doctor. I'm going to do all these things. All my investments in those things, medicine and doctors and diets, etc. What is your God? What is it that you think you can't lose? What is it that you go to for refuge? What we see in Daniel is all other gods will fail you. In Daniel, we see time and time again, in fact, it's kind of funny, you see Nebuchadnezzar trying to go against the one true God, and he fails, and Daniel learns that the one true God takes care of him. And then you see another king, Balthazar, his son comes in and does the same thing to Daniel, the same conversation, tries to get Daniel to worship his God, and he survives the lion's den. And you, next, you see uh, Darius and Cyrus come in, the same thing. God after God, king after king, running up against the one true God and failing. And the God of Israel wins every time. Last night, Julie, Julie and I were reading through Daniel. That's, it's fun to be married to me. It's quite a romantic night reading the Bible, Daniel. Uh, no, no. Um, it's a great, it's a, it's, I don't know, maybe a good first date. Read, read Daniel. Hey, you want to read Daniel? Uh, but she noticed this kind of funny thing. It's like, it almost seems like, is this a bad storytelling? Because it, it looks like you just got one king, then another king, and then they do the same thing every time. They try to get Daniel to worship another god. They get him in trouble, and his god wins, and it turns out that their god is a loser. And it just repeats itself. They don't learn from history. God always wins. Does it sound 
like us, that's how dumb we are, right? That's how we look to God, repeatedly doing the same thing, running our head against the wall, watching our gods fail us, and he keeps on going, and yet we repeat it again and again. Daniel's very relatable, I think. He, shows, he really does show a good picture of humanity. And God always wins. What's also amazing about Daniel in terms of these other gods or other kingdoms is that Daniel, God, this is, 700, this is 7th century B.C., but Daniel gets visions. In fact, the other king gets, gets a vision for him to interpret that gives us quite an outline in 7th century B.C. of what's going to happen for the next 700 years. Talk about kings and gods trying to grab our attention. A number of times, there's a vision or a dream that has the same pattern. There's four things. One, there's four stones. Another one, there's four beasts. And each one, is, it's uh, basically kings. And in fact, Daniel interprets it, to the, interprets it this to Nebuchadnezzar. That there's going to be four kings or four gods or four beasts that are going to sort of take over the world. One's going to hurt the other. The other one's going to follow and beat up that one. The other one's going to beat up that one until eventually there's a kingdom that lasts forever. And this is what blows my mind, even reading it over and over again, is it works out perfectly in history. You should know this, by the way. If you got any sort of common education, you should know this. If you don't, uh, go back to wherever you went to school. Daniel's living in the time of Babylon being the main, uh, the main authority of the Mediterranean area, right? They have their empire, and they took over the Assyrians. So the Babylonians, we call it now modern Iraq, are in charge, doing awesome things. Who comes after that? Persia, we now call modern Iran. Persia uh, takes over Babylon and becomes the new big man on campus. Who defeats Persia? The next big empire of the world, Greece, comes in. Alexander the Great, he's in the 27, or maybe he died 24, but he's the Kurt Cobain of the, uh, of the um, uh, dictators. So Alexander comes in and just spreads Greco-Roman, Greco culture, right, and takes over Persia and expands this empire. It's the most amazing, quickest empire ever created. Uh, and then who follows that? What I think even today people would say, the greatest empire of all time. Who follows Greece? Rome. And all these dreams, the same thing. Four, one after another. And then finally at the fourth one, the Roman one we'd call it, The temple is going to be destroyed, and the new kingdom will begin. And this kingdom lasts forever. Huge message of Daniel. And sure enough, this happened. He said the Babylonian kingdom was going to die. He did. He was going to be taken over by the Medes and the Persians. It happened. After that, who took over the Persians? The Greeks. And after that, sure enough, Rome rose. And as Rome rose, what happened? It came into Jerusalem. It tore down the temple. And it's not come up since. And something else happened. 
just as Daniel said, a day when a son of man, as Daniel describes it, was born, a human being, all rolled in one as Daniel talks about it, in the land of Nephtali, and the land of darkness on the edges of Israel, this man said, the kingdom of God is here. And it's still here today. Think about that. All prophesied by Daniel. And here we are. This is important when you're reading Daniel. Is it to interpret it as this? There's some, uh, you know, people will say that this coming kingdom has not yet happened. Uh, those are usually people who only know the Bible in English and don't know Greek and Hebrew and went to Jimmy's Bible College. But they're out there. Jesus' words, I think this is very important. You think he's a liar? Do you think he's just being, what, what's he saying here? He says it. The kingdom of God is here. It's happened. It's not something you're looking for or waiting for. It has come in Christ. And it fills out even more of Daniel. Daniel talks about this kingdom that's going to last forever in many different ways. Even right away uh, in the dream to Nebuchadnezzar, he talks about uh, there's this rock not hewn from hands that will crush all the other rocks. That sounds like a virgin son. Later on, you see, as I read earlier, chapter 7, this, uh, this uh, person like a son of man coming to the ancient days. This person that looks like a human being coming to Yahweh, to God, and is given the kingdom. And now we also see words of describing of this one as an anointed one. What does anointed one mean? What's the Engli well, Englishized word that we now use for anointed one? It's Christ, it's Messiah. And what's really amazing is Daniel sees this happen in chapter 9. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there should be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with square and moist but in troubled time. And after 62 weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And he shall make a strong covenant with many. What's amazing about uh, this message of Daniel is I'm trying to convince you to, to believe there's one God and this is the one true God and he comes through for you. I think it's also important to remember that all your other gods will let you down. Just like they did these kings. Your health will let you down. Your doctor will let you down. Everything will let you down. Your finances, your retirement plan, it all lets you down. If you haven't learned that, like Daniel learned that, if you put your faith and trust in any other God besides this God, you will be disappointed. Even the God of you, you'll let yourself down. But this God 
will not. Just like he saw Daniel through the lion's cage, we'll see you through it. But it's more than that. Because we see a God, even in these pictures given to us from Daniel, that loves us, even though we're not so faithful, that forgives us, even though we're not so forgiving. We see in Daniel a God who's not just mighty and awesome, and his anointed one didn't come just like a king to destroy things with violence, but came and laid down his life for who? Jerusalem, Israel, stubborn, stiff-necked sinners like you. That's the God who reigns. That's the kingdom that's been set up by the anointed one who was cut off from his people, even by us, because he loves you, forgives you, is for you, and wants to be your God. The maker of all things wants to be your God. And for you to experience him as Daniel did. And I challenge you this week to think about that. Is there one God? And is this God for me? Does this God love me? Does he forgive me? Will he provide for me? Can I trust him versus all these temporary gods I've created? And of course the answer is yes. But I want you to think about that in your prayers. What if that was true? What if it was going to be okay? What if you were forgiven? What if you were going to come out of the lion's den? You will. Christ is risen. He will raise you up too. And you will learn that he is your God. And he does reign and provide for you. In Jesus' name, amen.